Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Shifting Perspectives. Hi, this is Latasha Strawn and welcome. We are so glad to have you on this next exciting episode of Shifting Perspectives. And today we have got something that is really uh, personal to me and your land and as educators, as parents on so many levels, and that is language acquisition. We are going to address language acquisition in children. There are things you need to know, okay? And that's if you're a parent, if you're a teacher, I mean, if you're a caregiver, if you've just got kids that you work with in church, um, in, in, in your community, you want to know these things. Definitely, definitely. You know, um, this is a topic that um, I often find myself going back to. Now, I don't think in any way do myself or Latasha think that we replace speech and language pathologists. So please note oh, no. that no, there no, no, are no. professionals in this area. <laughs> yes, um, disclaimer can, at the beginning. That you can go to, <laughs> right? Um, but I think both of us being moms and educators, there's certain things we've seen about language acquisition, as well as living in environments where speech and language pathologists are not always easily accessible. Yes. And so what we, I think both of us kind of almost cringe a little bit when we see kids that need support and parents that are waiting for the right support to come when there's little little things that you can do in your homes that can help tremendously before. I think we can both add some personal stuff here, but um, to set the tone, one thing that I, I want to share and probably why this topic um, is such an important one right now is that in the last few years, I've seen an uptake, particularly for parents coming to me for consultations that are really concerned about their children speaking late or not speaking enough. And because of, you know, the last few years we've had with going into the pandemic, and although I, I find myself catching myself saying, you know, when we were in the pandemic, but the truth of the matter is we're still in the pandemic. Um, and, you know, I, I do want to make that clear, but when we were more isolated and mm -hmm. kids couldn't be part of everyday interactions within the community or at school. That had a, an effect on the development of a lot of young children. And it doesn't mean that it had an effect on all of them. Um, but I want to highlight that because I think parents need to know that they are not alone in this area. So imagine if you had a child going around the year of 2020, and they were very rarely exposed to the world beyond their everyday surroundings in those first few years. That would affect the way that they see the world and even the way that they develop their, their language, especially if we're not intentional about doing it in, in our homes. Now, to, to kind of make sure we're all on the same page as to what we're speaking about when we speak about language, I'm not focusing on second language, okay, um, when I'm talking about this, because a lot of times, and I don't know about in your environment, Latasha, but here in the Turks and Caicos, when I speak about language, a lot of times people are assuming I'm speaking about English acquisition if the first language is Spanish or Creole. 
Okay. Now I'm not speaking about second language acquisition, but just the way you learn language in any language. In okay? any language, yes. In any language, because the principles, whether we're speaking in English and French and Spanish, they're all important. Yes. And we do have that here in the Bahamas. We only speak uh, Haitian Creole as a second language here, and it's not a dominant language. It's not mm-hmm. a dominant language, but we do have a very strong Bahamian dialect, ah, which is the primary language that we speak in. And so when we are addressing things like language acquisition, that is actually the factor mm. <laughs> that comes up most for us as parents. And it, it's interesting because there's a TI di- dialect here as well. And I do believe we have a lot of the Bahamian dialect here because of how closely the yes. countries are related. Now, when we're speaking about language, we have two types of language. The first one is receptive language. So this is what a child or anybody, no matter what age, receptive language is what you're understanding. So if somebody is having difficulty following directions, that would be their receptive language. If you tell them things and they're not understanding what you're saying, that could be their receptive language. Expressive language is your ability to just that word, express yourself. Express yourself, yeah. The words you use, the way you're able to use the words, your vocabulary, et cetera. So traditionally, receptive language is going to develop a lot faster in children than expressive language. Because think about babies who are not yet speaking very much, but understand everything that is happening around them. If you say, bring me the ball, they bring you the ball. If you say, touch red, they touch red. So naturally, receptive language is what shows itself first. But please know that all the little pieces are adding up to both receptive and expressive being developed. And about that, I'm glad you made that distinction because it can be very easy for a parent to think that nothing is happening. Yes. Oh my goodness. Why aren't you saying more? Nothing is happening. Can you even hear me? Nothing is happening. And again, not ruling out um, the possibility that there might need to be evaluations done or diagnoses that need to be arrived at. How do parents use or understand these timelines? Um, Yes, these two things are happening, but I know as a parent, you kind of are at the mercy of Google. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. To know what's happening and when should it happen and my sister's kid is already doing this. And my oh, yes. Kid and we love to do that. that. <laughs> we, we love to see what's happening around us. But I think also, too, is don't underestimate the importance of speaking to your pediatrician or if you have um, if your children are involved in primary care when they go and get their, um, you know, their shots and their boosters and whatnot. Um, I don't know about in the Bahamas, but here in the Turks and Caicos on the back of their card, there's some developmental milestones. Um, but I think don't be afraid to speak to the doctors or the nurses about this. Um, and so that's the first thing I'd say before you get into, um, well, you probably already Googled it, but but in addition to what's happening. Yes, we in, have Googled it. Yes, you have Googled it. So in addition to what's happening in Google and always make sure that everything physiologically is checked. Like, are they hearing properly? Because if they haven't, a lot of times when babies are born, they test their hearing. But if that hasn't happened and you need to have the hearing tested, 
look at doing doing that. Um, but before we jump into kind of what development looks like in those first few years, um, I wonder whether you want to share what it was like for you, Latasha, in the first few years for your kids as they they gained their expressive and receptive language. Oh, sure. It was so worrisome and frustrating. I really? would have really benefited from a talk like this, you know, okay, <laughs> 15 okay. years ago. Um, my two eldest sons were, I guess even now, I would now say they were delayed developmentally. My eldest did not start using expressive language in ways that we could understand until he was about three and a half almost. Um, And the same was true for my second son. And they are so close together in age. They're only 18 months apart. So they're both there saying nothing to each other. (laughs) But they understood. And there wasn't enough Google for mom. (laughs) Not enough. Um, And I'll tell you why it was worrisome. It was worrisome because um, I I was comparing them to other kids. And um, so that made me wonder. I did talk to my pediatrician and their preschool teachers, and I got a lot of positive um, feedback from them in terms of recognizing that children learn at different paces and develop at different paces and that there are markers to look for that would be red flags. So that gave me some of my, that, that released some of my anxiety. But I often felt like I should have been doing more and I didn't know what my more should be. Um, And I spent a lot of time doing, um, talking with my boys, not realizing how much they were receiving, which is why I said to you a moment ago, we're sitting there going, nothing is happening. I had a lot of nothing is happening years. And then it seemed like suddenly they entered into an expressive stage in their development and those words were there for my eldest son they his expressive language at first came out a little wonky um words were being put together in ways that i'm like okay that's not quite the order but, <laughs> but, <laughs> but we have words we, we have, have words, words. <laughs> we have words yeah <laughs> um but as a parent who wants the best for her child, and I believe that the vast majority of parents fall into that category, you want to know, am I doing everything that I could do? Yeah, you know, and I can relate to your story because language develops, development, um, although it was always something I learned about and spoke to people about, it came to my doorstep as well. Um, you know, my eldest is, was a real chatterbox. And so that was not something that was on my radar. Um, and after my eldest, five years later, um, my first son, he understood everything. He would, he could follow directions and probably still one of the best at following directions. And at that time, learn and lead within our organization, we we housed a program called the Dawn Program for Autism and Behavioral Sciences. Um, and at that point, Nicole Cox ran that, um, who is uh, brilliant in so many different areas, but she's a tra- trained RBT. 
Um, as well as she was raising a child or is raising still is um, a child who's now practically a grown up who's on the spectrum. And we had had a lot of chats about language development as well as um, tapped into resources. Um, and so I was pregnant with my youngest at the time and my middle one um, was just about to hit two or around two. And I remember going to her house and saying, watch him. And she's like, okay. And I said, no, he's going to get everything he wants and do everything he wants to do. And he's not going to say a word because he had an older sister that was willing to, you know, translate whatever telepathically that was coming to her. Right. And in that point, he was also with Nicole's older kids that were also there and I realized that he was navigating his world using very few words. And so I quickly realized that he didn't have, well, you know, when you Google it and see how many words a kid should have at two, um, he didn't have the amount of words. And it yeah. was, it floored me because it was this idea of, but we're a house of talkers. Like what's happening? Why is he not grasping the words? And at that point, it also a little bit of fear kicked in, not so much because of what I saw around me, but being a Canadian, but not living in Canada and knowing that at that point, at that point, Turks and Caicos did not have any speech and language pathologists in the country. And so I looked at Nicole and I was like, you and I are it, (laughs) right? (laughs) And I don't think mom is the best person for this. <laughs> so it just, it, I was helpful that in that stage, we could take what we knew and problem solved it. And what I realized very quickly is at that point, we had a replacement babysitter for a little while. And that babysitter, um, English wasn't very strong with her. So the majority of mm. his day, there was very little talking happening in his day. And I, I I think he was like king, whatever he pointed to, he got. Right. <laughs> so it it became that I had to make sure everybody in his world, the babysitter, his sister, um, you know, his dad, his grandparents went around, everybody knowing that we're trying to get language out of him. Because I knew it was in there and the receptive language was extremely strong. Um, but what wasn't happening is he wasn't feeling the need to do much speaking. And because he wasn't practicing it much, he was just going throughout his, his day. Um, So what I would say is my maternity leave with my youngest became intervention for my middle son. Now, when you hear him speak, you would never know. Isn't that the thing? You you never know. You never know. You never never know. know. Okay. (laughs) Um, but what that did is it sparked in me the fact that if it could happen in our home, it could happen in anybody's home, right? And actually, um, one of the things that came out of that was my husband and I started a program through Learn and Lead that ran for a few years until we went into the pandemic called Lit from Birth, um, Literacy from Birth, because it it focused on the fact that we needed our language development in order to help our literacy. And we partnered with Interhealth Canada, which is the um, the hospitals that are run here 
in the Turks and Caicos and the nurses and midwives, when moms of new babies were being discharged, they would provide them with a board book as well as tips um, on language development um, with the with it being emphasized that no matter what your first language is, that you just need to do a lot of talking and what you need to look for and how you need to stimulate language. Um, so although we had to slow down that program during the pandemic, it has since been picked up um, by two other organizations in Turks and Caicos, the Youth Help, um, the Youth Help Foundation, as well as United Way. And I can tell you, Yolanda, that mothers coming out of the hospital with a newborn in their hand, that is the last thing they're expecting to get because <laughs> that's how far removed we are yeah. from language being important from day one. Like what we want to know is how do I get this baby to latch on? How do mm -hmm. I get this baby to sleep through the night? Am I holding this baby correctly? You know, those kinds of things, you get flooded with that information. You know, mm -hmm. everybody has something to offer you in that area. They'll give you a little kit of formula and of little <laughs> things. But no, you're not getting a board book. And I imagine that the response to that probably in the home and the community is like, they sent you home with what? <laughs> Other things as well. But yeah, like we don't mm -hmm. understand when this all begins. And which and that's that's yeah. the part that we have to change is because right. although over 90% of brain development happens in the first five years of life, my understanding is the first year of life is extremely crucial for language development. So even though a child may not be speaking much in their first year, the pathways that are being create, created in the brain and their understanding of language, there's huge growth that happens in that time. So yes, as we want our babies to latch and we want them to be comforted, are we, you know, can we talk to them um, when they're, we're holding them? Can we, and the reading to them isn't because we want them to be readers. It's we're developing this sense of words and images and connection and and warmth and all those things that you want them to associate with literacy later. And books provide an avenue for them to see visuals of things that will also they'll start to see in their environment. So if they see a teddy bear in the book, when they see a teddy bear in their bedroom or vice versa, they know what is, is what. And so I think that even before we focus on that literacy piece, which I think both you and I are passionate about, we have to first make sure that our parents, our teachers, our communities are understanding the importance of stimulating the language, especially if traditionally being good has been being seen and not heard. Absolutely. And the thing about that too, Yolanda, is that that means that not only do, are we redefining how a child interacts in our communities, you know, letting go of that you're seen and not heard, but we're redefining our own roles that we are not just um, the people who put the food in front of you. We're not just the disciplinarians. We're not just Lord of the Manor. We are also your teacher and not mm -hmm. just teacher of character traits because, oh, 
Look at Caribbean people love to teach you some discipline. Like we will discipline. <laughs> obedience is the way. <laughs> we are all about obedience. And I've seen people like with toddlers, I'm like, oh no, 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 they gotta learn. They gotta learn. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. but we are actually a part of helping them to develop their skills to communicate with us and with others. And that begins immediately, immediately. I don't want people to think that neither yourself nor myself, that we we don't want children to behave or or, um, follow the rules, but know that a, a child can be curious and ask you why without it being something that is disrespectful. Now you might have to teach them how to do that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Curiosity is going to bring more language. Exactly. And if that's what you're aiming for, again, we're saying, yes, we want respectful, well-behaved children, but a part of being a respectful, well-behaved child is being able to command language and use it appropriately and effectively with peers as well as with adults. And your first line of communication is going to be with a grown-up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. those are the first people who's t- who really talk to you or who mm-hmm. ought to be talking to you. There's there's a concept that um is often re- referred to as serve and return. Mm-hmm. And serve and return um relates to the back and forth interactions that need to happen between a child and their caregiver. So whether that's yes, a parent yes. or a sibling or um, their babysitter. And it's really a way to notice what your child is doing to engage them with language. So let's say um, your child suddenly sees something on the TV. I'm going to use the TV because if the TV is on and they suddenly see something on the TV and they run over and they point. Okay. That's their serve. Your return is what's that? Now they might then return that with telling you what it is. But if they don't know what it is, you might say, what's that? Is that a red ball? And then they go and back and forth. And that's a way for us to engage in their world. So if they're playing with Lego or, you know, the bigger blocks, the mega mega blocks, and they're, they're building something, what are you building? And that's the serve. Then their answer, or even them continuing and looking at you, that is their return. So even if they don't have the language yet, yeah, you might say, is that a truck? That looks like a truck. And if they nod their head, instead of saying, yes, that's okay, that's still a return. But what we need to make sure parents understand is those back and forth interactions, which eventually we'll see as conversation, those are essential in the first few years of life to develop the brain structures that are needed for language to develop well. Yes. And doing that does take intention because we're used to, well, I say something to you, you say something back. Mm -hmm. And it's also that we are used to believing that children, again, I can't emphasize it enough. We are, we've been wrong as parents about when it all begins. I mean, parents who have a background in education and all of that might know some things differently, but the average parent thinks that when this child is able to talk to me, that's when understanding is happening. 
Yeah. And so tuning in to those nonverbal clues, looking at the expression on a child's face, reading into things that look like interest or curiosity or delight or even fear and speaking to that, um, communicating with the babbling. (laughs) Sometimes they're just, they're just, you know, things come out of their mouth that make no sense, Mm -hmm. but interacting with that is not how we as adults talk. So we have to be very um, deliberate about engaging with them during those years where the language has informed fully. Yeah. And this is something that, you know, I think over the last few decades, we've started to understand more um, in terms of the power that we have in our homes with it. When I mentioned a little while ago that the majority of brain development is happening in the first five years of life, think about when your children are entering school. (laughs) Okay. Um, Many of them are not entering until they're four or five. Or if they are starting preschools or daycares really early, you want to make sure that the daycare of a preschool has an understanding of how important it is to be stimulating language and that when they're in daycare, it's not just to be watched. Okay. Um, One of the, the concepts that I think when I first started taking interest in this topic um, that grabbed me was the 30 million word initiative. And I think Latasha, you have some, some knowledge yes. about this as well. And it, it took everything that was floating around me in terms of my understanding of language and put it into context, but then helped me to see it in my environment. So although there's certainly been further researches since, um, since then, the um, Dr. Dana Suskind was somebody who initially spoke about the 30 million word initiative. There's a book about it. Um, you can read the initial research as well as you can find videos on YouTube. But what she did was she looked at communities um, and they looked at parents in different stages in life, um, in different social classes, et cetera. And they had, they looked at the amount of conversation around children within those environments. And so what they found was that, let's say in certain homes, if there's a hundred and some word utterances an hour versus 500 and some word utterances an hour, like those aren't the exact numbers, but I just want to give you that example. Um, If that's a deficit of 400 words an hour, imagine what that deficit looks like over years. So based on the studies they did, they found that over three years, you could end up with a 30 million word gap. And that is huge. Okay. And so they did look at at ways to help parents ease that gap, but they use three T's, which I found were very simple and accessible. They encouraged parents to tune in So that means to pay attention to what your child is doing, to take turns. So you see how that is, that conversation back and forth, what we were just talking about with serve and return, and to talk more. So even if as a parent, you're not sure where to start, that's a brilliant place. Tune in, take turns, and talk Talk more. more. And that's the beauty of that 
30 million word initiative. I I thought it was astounding um, the amount of words that represent that gap because we don't quantify it. And, and we, we, we talk, but we, we don't quantify it. But something about making it concrete, you're like, oh, this is significant. But the strategies in the initiative are not at all impacted by resources. And that is why I think the initiative is brilliant because you do not need anything added to you in order to tune in, take turns and talk more. It's simple, it's easy to remember and everyone under the sun can do it. And I think that's why the program was so successful. And the most important foundational one there, and I like that it's first is tuning in. Yeah. Which, you know, kind of echoes what I said a moment ago about, yeah, we're used to our, you know, Yola and Tasha conversations, you know, we, mm-hmm. and a lot of young parents are like, oh, I want some grown up time. Oh, I, I want to go and talk to my girlfriends. I want to be out with, you know, my adult community. And so it can be hard to tune in. But mm-hmm. if you are tuned in and you're talking and you're taking those turns and you're giving more the return is like 30 million words words. more. (laughs) The numbers matter, like 30 million more words, your baby girl, your baby boy is going out there with. And that is a game changer. That that changes their, their entire life. It doesn't just change how they enter school, but it's, you know, and especially with the increase we've had in use of technology and many of us, including myself, allows their children to be on way more tech than ever imagined. And I think one of the things that I found it hard has been reeling it in after the pandemic or after their time out of school during the pandemic, because we needed it for learning. And then we also needed it for survival. So as parents, we could work while they were doing other things, right? And when it came, when it comes to tablets, I often have parents say to me, oh, well, I got a language app with flashcards. Okay, that's great. But remember that these kinds of technologies are not two-way communication. Not so at all. There's resources out there that can certainly help you in the development of language, but make sure you're still intentional about the way you're doing server and return, the way you're doing tuning in, take t- taking turns and talking more. Because as parents as well, it's not uncommon for us to be on our phones and, and swiping and our children be trying to get our attention. <laughs> but what we're tuned into might be different than what we need to be tuned into at that point. Now, will we always be able to drop what we're doing and give the attention? No, but when we're intentional about choosing when we're going to do it, it's more likely to get it done because the consequences of delayed language development, those can be heavy. Those can be heavy. Yes, it can. And you know what? Confession is good for the soul. Can I tell you (laughs) that one of the first words that my eldest said to me was, Ayudame, Ayudame. And I didn't even know what it meant, <laughs> but it means help me. Oh, okay. it's ah. Dora. <laughs> and the thing about it is, the first time he said it, and I realized it was a Spanish word, he actually had fallen. <laughs> oh. oh, wow. Okay. Okay. I'm like, what does he mean? I mean, I, I was I was helping him out, but I didn't realize what he was saying. What he was saying. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so 
Um, yeah, we put these devices in their hand. We put these really fun educational videos on for them. And to a degree, they are actually impacting their language and um, their language acquisition and their development, but not at all to be replacers or to take the place of um, talking with community in their native language, especially. Yeah. Um, yeah. And having that, like you say, serve and return because though they try to duplicate that in some of these educational shows and they pause, you know, for kids to speak and what have you, it's only a facsimile. It's not actually um, have the same real time impact that we get as parents. And I want to jump on something you said, native language. Okay. Um, Because one of the concerns that often comes to me um, is if parents, if their first language is not English, whether they should only speak English to their child. So let's say I have a Spanish speaking parent and they want their child to be fluent in English. So they decide that they're not going to speak Spanish, that they're only going to speak English. But the problem with this is if their English language is not as developed, as their Spanish. So let's say they're not fully bilingual. They can speak and understand English, but they have nowhere near as many words in their English vocabulary as their Spanish vocabulary. I strongly advise, yes, speak English, but do not stop speaking your mother tongue because A, you want them to learn the Spanish and B, the types of vocabulary that they'll learn in your language, because you're comfortable with it, is really important, right? It it will be leaps and bounds ahead, and that will affect how they see the world. Okay. And, you know, I'm glad you said that, because honestly, I would never have thought that, because we think of it and I'm, I'm not in a bilingual home, but I, so I'm, I, my default is my native tongue is English, but you tend to, in our community, um, believe that you need to speak the language of the economy. The Bahamian economy runs on English, mm-hmm. not Haitian Creole. So you want to suppress that language, even though you might not actually be very fluent or even accurate in English. Mm-hmm. Um, but you think this makes economic sense for my child um, to thrive in this environment. The thing about when a child is learning language Um, a a second language as a child, they tend to learn it a lot faster than as an adult. So we have a lot, even myself, um, because I was born in Montreal, which is in Quebec, which is the French speaking um, province of Canada. I actually went to school in French before I went to school in English. I was in a completely bilingual program. So I would have had the opposite situation where I'm speaking English at home But at school, it's purely French. I didn't actually start doing English at school much until about grade three. Now, did that affect my ability to speak English? No, but it It doesn't seem so. No, no. But it, it made my French a lot stronger because I was completely immersed. And if at home, my parents were only speaking to me in French... Uh, which definitely wouldn't have been (laughs) both my Caribbean parents, right? And although my mom has a lot of knowledge of French, her written French is is a lot better than her her oral French. If, If we're looking at an item and I say big, 
or I say grand in French, right? In English, we can say humongous, we can say gigantic, we can say immeasurable, we can use so many other vocabulary words. But if English isn't your first language, the only thing you're going to call that is big. Big. When you see a mm -hmm. ball, you're only going to call it a ball. You're not going to say it's a sphere. Okay. So by cutting out the language where you're the strongest in, you may be cutting out topics or vocabulary that you can be helping to develop that your child will soon begin to translate automatically, but it's not yes. even going to be in the reservoir of language. And the way the brain works is it's developing the skills it needs for language, and it doesn't do that in isolation for each language. Exactly. So we need that structure to be developed. That's so important. Um, you know, when you talk about these things, now we can put it in context and think about our realities. And it makes me ask you, you, you see this in your center all the time, but when we're not looking at that gap, when we're not looking at those 30 million words, we do end up with delayed language development. Um, mm -hmm there are consequences that we're facing. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about the consequences? Because we, yeah, we all want the benefits, um, but the consequences can really be detrimental. Yeah. And I think sometimes we need to look at what's at risk to understand why we need to put that effort in on the front end. Definitely. So it isn't just that they speak late. Do you understand? Um, mm -hmm. you know, it's not uncommon for somebody to come, oh, well, you know, they they talk late. Okay. That's something that I'll hear in my environment. Um, but it it can affect their school readiness in terms of just um whether they can start to handle academics. But even before we get to that, it can affect things like their behavior. Because if they're unable to communicate their needs or something is working for them, is not working for them, they it will come out in behavior because there still needs to be a way to communicate it. That so expression has to exactly. happen. Expression so if still I has don't to happen, have yeah. the words, I may pull you, I may tug you, I may punch you, I may be very aggressive when you don't understand what I mean. Because you're still dealing with young kids who might believe a toddler doesn't think about everybody else's perspective in life. It's how everybody else meets me where I'm at, right? Exactly. So it can limit the vocabulary, which makes it very difficult to express needs, as well as it can affect the social and emotional side of things. Because if when I go to daycare, I can't play with my friends because they don't understand me, or after they're playing with me for a little while, they move away and I want them to play with me. And I'm trying to tell them that, but they're not listening to me. So I'm just pulling them. And they're telling you, don't pull me. You can see how that can quickly start to affect the socialization. Yes. Okay. Yes. And we can start to talk about a child being badly behaved or having difficult behaviors or not listening. Okay. So we've been talking a lot about expressive language, but if we're not developing the receptive language, okay, which that serve and return will help with, 
then they may not be understanding situations correctly. So the limited vocabulary, the, the challenges academically when, when they start school, the social, emotional, behavioral struggles, um, and then <clears throat> the challenges that will come when it's time for the pre-reading and the development of literacy. And so we want to hit these things very early. And it can be as simple as if a child is not saying um, the correct word, helping them with the word. If they say, if they always say big, giving them other vocabulary. If when a young girl comes in the room, they say he there. Well, let's change that pronoun to she and say she is there and have them repeat. She is there. If they point and they say water say, may I, may I have water? Now, it's not, the focus isn't because we're working on manners. The focus is because we want you to hear that complete thought. Yes. Okay. Um, so I think why this is so important to address in early childhood and in your homes is because that delay in language although it may have absolutely nothing to do with intelligence, okay? Um, anything above that, you know, in addition to going to speech and language pathologists, you can also go see a psychologist to help in terms of if there's actually a need for diagnosis. But all of these factors affect how ready a child is to, to learn and to be part of their everyday world. You want them to be able to participate fully in their life. When they're participating fully in life, um, I think you're, well, let, let me just hop on that phrase for a moment. Um, believing, first of all, that children have a right to participate fully. <laughs> believing that is already, for some of us as parents, a first step. Um, because again, I want to see you make the honor roll at grade six. I want you on the dean's list at ninth <laughs> grade. I'm really excited for your college graduation. And we have these huge milestones that we want for these kids. However, at the same time, we are um we sometimes shut them down because they're young, because they're small. You know, I've heard parents say, um, very innocently, um, when a child is having trouble communicating, uh, they know uh, uh, she 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 just don't want to talk. She just don't want to talk, um, and and you know like the child is is being defiant. <laughs> you know, um, mm-hmm. sometimes that is true. Sometimes they're just not in a talkative mood. But being tuned mm-hmm. in to um, that idea of serving and returning, that no, you may not have words yet at my level, but that does not mean I should not be communicating with you like we're using the terms that are 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 popular um in an educational environment serve and return but it's communications back communication 101 back and forth yes Mm -hmm. just taking turns tuning in talking more going back and forth and just since we've circled back to to serve and return because this is what's going to move parents forward um what would you say 
and I know I'm asking you, I have my ideas on this because I'm a busy parent. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You are a very busy parent. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) And when I struggled with my kids um, for a good chunk of that time, I was not staying at home. I was going to work. I had them um, going to a really good preschool at a certain point. And a part of my frustration was that I had a lot going on Mm -hmm. and it made it difficult to do that first T, tune in, Mm -hmm. just being real. Tuning in was hard. Yeah. So I want to acknowledge the busy parents Mm -hmm. who are, you know, shift workers. We have a you you guys have it in terms we as well. Like we the hotel too. industry is like gobbled up a good section of our workforce here in the Bahamas. Mm-hmm. We have um parents who, you know multiple jobs. They're several busy. jobs. They're working 16 hours and sleeping eight. And they just don't have a cycle that is in sync with the cycle of a very young child. That's just their reality. That parent shouldn't feel left out of this. I, I want to speak to that parent for a Definitely. minute because we're saying be intentional, make it a priority, et cetera. But the question is how? Yeah. Yeah. And um, you're so right on that. Um, and I'm glad you took it from that perspective because I think both of us believe strongly in giving strategies that are accessible for all parents. And you've touched on being intentional a number of times. And so the first thing is set your mind to that you're looking for opportunities to tune in and talk. And just do that at first. Because once we know that's what we're looking for, sometimes you'll find that these situations suddenly appear. Now, it may not be perfect in terms of us sitting down and playing, but it might be a bath time. It might be dinner. What yes. else do you think? Um, what are some other the, times? The, the school pickup, because a lot of these in. parents, they are dropping you off to Grammy's house, pickup. dropping you off yes. to daycare, got to pick you up. At least when you're dropping off and picking up, you've got a few minutes there in the car um, to do some of this. Um, on the weekends when you're uh, grocery shopping and a lot of uh, working parents have to take kids along to do errands and you know, just things around the neighborhood. Those are times when they're not just tagging along. They could quote unquote participate in picking up things in the store. Oh, I think we need some tomatoes. What do you think, Yolan? Mm-hmm. Yolan might just be like, oh, point to the tomatoes. Yeah. What color tomatoes? Are the tomatoes? What do you think? I, I'm, I think we should get some tomatoes, you know? Okay. And And even just like, just to take that a little further, you know how when you were shopping for tomatoes, you probably touched the tomatoes to see how soft they are, or, you know, you're making choices based on how fruit feels, allow them to do that with you and say, oh, that one is too soft. And they might just respond too soft for those opportunities. Yes. And that, that looking for opportunities um, is empowering as a parent, which means that Whatever your um, schedule, whatever your lifestyle, wherever you are going, you can transform it. You can transform any of it into an opportunity to tune in, take turns, and talk more. 
just and regardless. Before you know it, it will be a habit. It is. You won't. Oh, I remember another one. That you're the wash house. Ah, there you go. <laughs> go ahead. The wash house. I'm just thinking of things in our, when, in my community. When your boys were little. Mm-hmm. When my boys were little, you know, before, um, you know, you you had all these things that you had to do. That was my life as a young parent. Ah, oh, so much that I have to do, and one attitude can be. Um, I gotta do, I've got to do these things and leave the kids out of it. Um, and another attitude could be, well, I've got to do these things. I might as well include the kids in it and use it as an opportunity to help develop their language acquisition and to just talk with my babies, um, talk with the babies, talk with the toddlers and, and involve your them. times though. Right, like you're gonna know the day you don't have patience to take your toddler to wash us. Okay, let's let's. I'm a little closer to toddlerhood. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I have no I'm already. I'm looking at it in the back and further the along. Okay, yeah. so I don't want anybody listening to think that we don't understand when mommy or daddy need their time. Right. Yes. But choose your times, and you you touched on something else when you said you know like when you're dropping them off. Like you're dropping them to Grammy or to the babysitter, the helper, et cetera. In my childhood, I often went to after school programs, which is not as much in this environment. And usually if kids aren't going to some kind of activity, they're being dropped home. But what kind of thing do you think we should, what should we say to babysitters or to grandparents to help them be on this journey with us? Oh, well, you know, I'm going to answer this, but I feel like you answered it earlier. Okay. <laughs> because, mm-hmm. you know, I I remembered earlier in our conversation, Yolan, you talked about how, you know, when you went and talked with Nicole and you all started doing your, you know, um, emergency mm. intervention, you were <laughs> like, okay, now I need to talk to husband, sister, like caretaker. Everybody needed to get the same information, like creating a baseline for your child where everyone knows what you know. Um, even if it's as simple as taking these same three T's about tuning in, talking more, taking turns to everyone that has regular access to your child. Um, it's Telling them that, hey, this is what I'm doing with her and this is how it works and getting them involved and also following up, holding people accountable with questions about how did it go today? And, you know, how did Vanessa um, talk today? And what did you guys talk about? I had a caregiver um, with my third son. At this point, I'd gotten over my language woes and I had some more tools in my toolkit. And while I was a working mom and I was gone for the majority of the day, she and I then had recaps about how the day went and what did y'all talk about and what did y'all watch on TV? And I I didn't, you know, interrogate her in police fashion, but Mm -hmm. I found ways to confirm that she and my youngest were actually talking. And I hovered sometimes as well. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I went, I, I would come and I wouldn't just scoop up my child and leave. Like if you have a caregiver watching your child, um, when you go to pick up, spend five or 10 minutes mm-hmm. and have a conversation there and watch the interactions as a part of accountability and see, well, what do y'all do together? Um, 
before you leave. And those kinds of things are building a team. You don't have to do this by yourself. And and the team can do it differently. Like, let's say um, you're lucky enough that your, your, your child is being dropped home to Grammy and Grammy loves to sing and Grammy loves to do nursery rhymes. That alone, the interaction that comes with singing songs and doing nursery rhymes, it provides such an opportunity for a child to understand language and that language has a a rhythm. So even if, um, so know that it can come different ways because whatever Grammy's singing with your child, it's probably going to help their vocabulary and it's going to help their, their memory because if they're always singing those songs with Grammy, and they know yes. them and Grammy always sing these songs. So some of these things might be already within the environment, but it's just peaking the, oh yeah, don't forget, do this. And like like you said, it's not policing it, but it's just no. being aware. And you want to know that everybody's on the same page and wanting there to be more conversation coming in. And they've got to know that that's what you're aiming for. Yes. Like, don't be afraid to say that's what we're trying to do. I think you'd be surprised. Yeah. A lot of people love your kid right alongside you. And they are as um, excited about their future as you are. And they, many of them are willing to be invested in as well. And you're not giving them rocket science to do. You're just like, you know, and some people also do it naturally. I had an Mm -hmm. aunt who, oh my goodness, she talk the baby's head off. Like she just was like, <laughs> she just had a gift for it. I feel like she should have been a school teacher. Was there. Yeah. Like she just did it with, she, she amazed me. I love for her to keep my child. Cause I'm like, you, you understand, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you understand what he's saying. Mm-hmm. So, but you know, all of those things are, are factors, you know, we want to encourage these kids to be curious. We want to encourage them to have, you know, imagination and to play. Mm. Um, These are skills that they're going to use in school. They're going to use them with their cousins and their siblings and their friends. They're going to, they're going out into the world and we're equipping them to be social beings. And language is like numero uno in being a social uh, creature. And what you just touched on there with imaginative play and I think you know we can all think of times where we've seen kids playing teacher playing doctor playing whatever it is oh absolutely yes um and this is what we really want to see in our preschools and our daycares is it's really important for children to play and imagine because those scenarios they make up Mm -hmm. not only will they have fun with it but they're going to create narratives there's going to be dialogues that they have with their siblings, their cousins, who whoever it is. Yes. And that allows them to have fun with language and see that language has a purpose in daily life. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. And that they can create things with language. Exactly. And once they have that, that ability to create will open so many doors for them. So many. And these are the things that are going to produce those fruits that we're looking for. We're going to be seeing those awards showing up at sixth grade graduation. So so those (laughs) those things that you want to see, and I think that's a beautiful place for us to wrap this up, is those things that you want to see in sixth grade and 11th or 12th, whenever you graduate, et cetera. Some of those big ticket items that we focus on, 
they have their roots in the first few years. Of Absolutely. So remember parents, teachers, caregivers, whatever capacity you're, you're listening to this in, look for ways to be patient and to be consistent because um, language acquisition, although for some children, it seems to come almost automatically, um, some might need a little bit more time and care. But it's something that when we're intentional about looking for ways to 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 approach it, um, we see the results. And if you if you aren't really and truly concerned, as we said, we are not psychologists, we are not speech and language pathologists, right? No. Um, do do go get the help. Do exactly. The help. You know, today was to give you some tips for the everyday situations to try and stimulate language. But this is not something to wait and see. On. And if if I can leave listeners with anything, it's this is not a wait and see. This is a let's be proactive. Yes. And be encouraged, parents. We've been there. We've done that. We've come through it. And we're telling you that the efforts you make, the returns are going to be phenomenal, first and foremost, for your darling children and for you as a proud parent. Awesome. So thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Shifting Perspectives.